Section 5 of The Red Laugh by Leonid Andreev. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Part 1, Fragments 8 and 9. Fragment 8. Around a samovar, around a real samovar, out of which the steam was rising as out of an engine. The glass on the lamp had even grown dim. There was so much steam. And the cups were the same, blue outside and white inside. Very pretty little cups. A wedding present. My wife's sister gave them. She is a very kind and good woman. Is it possible they are all whole? Asked I, incredulously, mixing the sugar in my glass with a clean silver spoon. One was broken, said my wife absently. She was holding the tap open just then, and the water was running out easily and prettily. I laughed. "'What's it about?' asked my brother. "'Oh, nothing. Wheel me into the study just once more. You may as well trouble yourself for the sake of a hero. You idled away your time while I was away. But now that is over. I'll bring you to order.' And I began singing, as a joke, of course. My friends were bravely hurrying towards the foe. They understood the joke and smiled. Only my wife did not lift up her face. She was wiping the cups with a clean embroidered cloth. And in the study I saw once again the light blue wallpaper, a lamp with a green shade, and a table with a water bottle upon it. And it was a little dusty. Pour me some water out of this, ordered I merrily. But you've just had tea. That doesn't matter. "'Pour me out some, and you,' said I to my wife. "'Take our son and go into the next room for a minute, please.' And I drank the water with delight in small sips, while my wife and son were in the next room, and I could not see them. "'That's all right. Now come here. But why is he not in bed by this time?' "'He is so glad you have come home. Darling, go to your father.' But the child began to cry and hid himself at his mother's feet. "'Why is he crying?' "'asked I in perplexity and looked around. "'Why are you all so pale and silent, following me like shadows?' "'My brother burst into a loud laugh and said, "'We are not silent,' and my sister said, "'We are talking the whole time.' "'I will go and see about the supper,' said my mother, "'and hurriedly left the room. "'Yes, you are silent,' I repeated with sudden conviction. "'Since morning, I have not heard a word from you. I am the only one who chats, laughs, and makes merry. Are you not glad to see me, then? And why do you all avoid looking at me? Have I changed so? Yes, I am changed, but I do not see any looking-glasses about. Have you put them all away? Give me a looking-glass. I will bring you one directly, answered my wife, and did not come back for a long time. And the looking-glass was brought by the maid. I looked into it, and I had seen myself before in the train at the station. It was the same face, grown older a little, but the most ordinary face. While they, I believe, expected me to cry out and faint, so glad were they when I asked calmly, What is there so unusual in me? Laughing louder and louder, my sister left the room hurriedly, and my brother said with calm assurance, Yes, you have not changed much, only grown slightly bald. You can be thankful that my head is not broken, answered I, unconcernedly. But where do they all disappear? 
First one, then another. Will me about the rooms, please. What a comfortable armchair. It does not make the slightest sound. How much did it cost? You bet I won't spare the money. I will buy myself such a pair of legs. Better. My bicycle. It was hanging on the wall, quite new. Only the tires were limp for want of pumping. A tiny bit of mud had dried to the tire of the back wheel, the last time I had ridden it. My brother was silent and did not move my chair, and I understood his silence and irresoluteness. Only four officers remained alive in our regiment, said I surly. I am very lucky. You can take it for yourself. Take it away tomorrow. All right, I will take it, agreed my brother submissively. Yes, you are lucky. Half of the town is in mourning, while legs, that is really... Of course, I am not a postman, my brother stopped suddenly and asked. But why does your head shake? That's nothing. The doctor said it will pass. And your hands, too? Yes, yes, and my hands, too. It will all pass. Wheel me on, please. I'm tired of remaining still. They upset me, those discontented people. But my gladness returned to me when they began making my bed. A real bed. A handsome bed. That I had bought just before our wedding four years ago. They spread a clean sheet. Then they shook the pillows and turned down the blanket while I watched the solemn proceedings. My eyes full of tears with laughing. And now undress me and put me to bed, said I to my wife. How good it is. This minute, dear. Quicker. This minute, dear. Why, what are you doing? This minute, dear. She was standing behind my back near the toilet table, and I vainly tried to turn my head so as to see her. And suddenly she gave a cry, such a cry as one hears only at the war. What does it all mean? She rushed towards me put her arms round me and fell down, hiding her head near the stumps of my cut-off legs, from which she turned away with horror, and again pressed herself against them, kissing them and crying. What have you become? Why, you are only thirty years old. You were young and handsome. What does it all mean, how cruel men are? What is it for? For whom is it necessary? You, my gentle, poor darling, darling. At her cry, they all ran up, my mother, sister, nurse, and they all began crying and saying something or other, and fell at my feet, wailing, while on the threshold stood my brother, pale, terribly pale, with a trembling jaw, and cried out in a high-pitched voice, I shall go mad with you all! I shall go mad! While my mother groveled at my chair and had not the strength to cry, but only gasped, beating her head against the wheels, and there stood the clean bed with the well-shaken pillows and turned-down blanket, the same bed that I bought just before our wedding four years ago. Fragment 9 I was sitting in a warm bath while my brother was pacing up and down the small room in a troubled manner, sitting down, getting up again, catching hold of the soap and towel, bringing them close up to his short-sighted eyes, and again putting them back in their places. At last he stood up with his face to the wall and picking at the plaster with his finger, continued hotly. Judge for yourself. One cannot teach people mercy, sense, logic. Teach them to act consciously for tens and hundreds of years running with impunity, and in particular to act consciously. One can become merciless, lose all sensitiveness, get accustomed to blood and tears and pain, for instance butchers, and some doctors and officers do. But how can one renounce truth after one has learnt to know it, 
In my opinion, it is impossible. I was taught from infancy not to torture animals and be compassionate. All the books that I read told me the same, and I am painfully sorry for all those that suffer at your cursed war. But time passes, and I am beginning to get accustomed to all those deaths, sufferings, and all this blood. I feel that I am getting less sensitive, less responsive in my everyday life, and respond only to great stimulants. But I cannot get accustomed to war. My brain refuses to understand and explain a thing that is senseless in its basis. Millions of people gather at one place and, giving their actions order and regularity, kill each other. And it hurts everybody equally. And all are unhappy. What is it if not madness? My brother turned round and looked at me inquiringly with his short-sighted, artless eyes. The red laugh, said I merrily, splashing about. I will tell you the truth. And my brother put his cold hand trustingly on my shoulder but quickly pulled it back, as if he was frightened at its being naked and wet. I will tell you the truth. I am very much afraid of going mad. I cannot understand what is happening. I cannot understand it, and it is dreadful. If only anybody could explain it to me, but nobody can. You were at the front. You saw it all. Explain it to me. Deuce take you, answered I jokingly, splashing about. There, and you too said my brother sadly. Nobody is capable of helping me. It's dreadful, and I am beginning to lose all understanding of what is permissible and what is not, what has sense and what is senseless. If I were to seize you suddenly by the throat at first, gently as if caressing you, and then firmly and strangle you, what would that be? You were talking nonsense. Nobody does such things. My brother rubbed his cold hands, smiled softly, and continued. When you were away, there were nights when I did not sleep, could not sleep, and strange ideas entered my head, to take a hatchet, for instance, and go and kill everybody. Mother, sister, the servants, our dog. Of course, they were only fancies, and I would never do so. I should hope not, <laughs> smiled I, splashing about. Then again, I am afraid of knives, of all that is sharp and shining, it seems to me that if I were to take up a knife, I should certainly kill somebody with it. Now, is it not true? Why should I not plunge it into somebody, if it were sharp enough? The argument is sufficient. What a queer fellow you are, brother. Just open the hot water tap. My brother opened the tap, let in some hot water, and continued. Then again, I am afraid of crowds, of men, where many of them gather together. When of an evening I hear a noise in the street, a loud shout, for instance, I start and believe that a massacre has begun. When several men stand together, and I cannot hear what they are talking about, it seems to me that they will suddenly cry out, fall upon each other, and blood will flow. And you know, he bent mysteriously towards my ear, the papers are full of murders, strange murders. It is all nonsense that there are as many brains as there are men. Mankind has only one intellect, and it is beginning to get muddled. Just feel my head, how hot it is. It is on fire, and sometimes it gets cold and everything freezes in it, grows benumbed and changes into a terrible, dead-like piece of ice. I must go mad. Don't laugh, brother. I must go mad. A quarter of an hour has passed. It's time for you to get out of your bath. A little bit more, just a minute. 
It was so good to be sitting again in that bath and listening to the well-known voice without reflecting upon the words, and to see all the familiar, simple, and ordinary things around me. The brass, slightly green tap, the walls with the familiar pattern, and all the photographic outfit laid out in order upon the shelves. I would take up photography again, take simple, peaceful landscapes and portraits of my son walking, laughing, and playing. One could do that without legs, and I would take up my writing again, about clever books, the progress of human thought, beauty, and peace. Ho, 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 roared I, splashing about. What is the matter with you? asked my brother, growing pale and full of fear. Nothing. I'm glad to be home. He smiled at me as one smiles at a child, or on one younger than oneself, although I was three years older than he, and grew thoughtful, like a grown-up person or an old man who has great burdensome old thoughts. Where can one fly to? he asked, shrugging his shoulders. Every day at about the same hour the papers close the circuit, and all mankind gets a shock. The simultaneousness of feelings, tears, thoughts, sufferings, and horror deprives me of all stay, and I am like a chip of wood tossing about on the waves, or a bit of dust in a whirlwind. I am forcibly torn away from all that is habitual. There is one terrible moment every morning, when I seem to hang in the air over the black abyss of insanity, and I shall fall into it. I must fall into it. You don't know all, brother. You don't read the papers, and much is held back from you. You don't know all, brother. I took all his words for rather a gloomy joke, the usual attitude towards all those who, being touched by insanity, have an inkling of the insanity of war, and gave us a warning. I considered it as a joke, as if I had forgotten for the moment, while I was splashing about in the hot water, all that I had seen over there. Well, let them hold things back from me, but I must get out of the bath anyway, said I lightly, and my brother smiled and called my man and together they lifted me out of my bath and dressed me. Afterwards I had some fragrant tea which I drank out of my cut-glass tumbler, and said to myself that life was worth living, even without a pair of legs. And then they wheeled me into the study up to my table, and I prepared for work. Before the war I was on the staff of a journal, reviewing foreign literature, and now, disposed within my reach, lay a heap of those dear, sweet books in yellow, blue, and brown covers, my joy was so great, my delight so profound, that I could not make up my mind to begin reading them, and I merely fingered the books, passing my hand caressingly over them. I felt a smile spread over my face, most probably a very silly smile, but I could not keep it back as I contemplated admiringly the type, the vignettes, the severe, beautiful simplicity of the drawings. How much thought and sense of beauty there was in them all! How many people had to work and search? How much talent and taste were needed to bring forth that letter, for instance? So simple and elegant, so clever, harmonious, and eloquent in its interlaced lines. And now I must set to work, said I seriously, full of respect for work. And I took up my pen to write the heading, and, like a frog tied to a string, my hand began plunging about the paper. The pen stuck into the paper scratched it, jerked about, slipped irresistibly aside, and brought forth hideous lines, broken, crooked, devoid of all sense. And I did not cry out or move. I grew cold and still as the approaching terrible truth dawned upon me. 
while my hand danced over the brightly illuminated paper and each finger shook in such hopeless, living, insane horror as if they, those fingers, were still at the front and saw the conflagrations in blood and heard the groans and cries of indescribable pain. They had detached themselves from me, those madly quivering fingers. They were alive. They had become ears and eyes and growing cold from horror, Without the strength to move or cry out, I watched their wild dance over the clean, bright, white page, and all was quiet. They thought I was working, and had shut all the doors so as not to interrupt me by any sound. And I was alone in the room, deprived of the power of moving, obediently watching my shaking hands. It is nothing, said I aloud, and in the stillness and loneliness of the study, my voice sounded hollow and nasty like the voice of a madman. It is nothing. I will dictate. Why, Milton was blind when he wrote his Paradise Regained. I can think, and that is the chief thing. In fact, it is all. And I began inventing a long, clever phrase about the blind Milton. But the words got confused, fell away as out of a rotten printing frame. And when I came to the end of the phrase, I had forgotten the beginning. And I tried to remember what made me begin, and why I was inventing that strange, senseless phrase about Milton, and could not. Paradise regained, paradise regained, I repeated, and could not understand what it meant. And then I saw that I often forgot very many things, that I had become strangely absent-minded and confused, familiar faces, that I forgot words even in a simple conversation and sometimes, remembering a word, I could not understand its meaning. And I clearly pictured to myself my daily existence. A strange, short day, cut off like my legs, with empty, mysterious spaces, long hours of unconsciousness or apathy about which I could remember nothing. I wanted to call my wife, but could not remember her name. And this did not surprise or frighten me. Softly I whispered, Wife. The incoherent, unusual word sounded softly and died away without bringing any response. And all was quiet. They were afraid of disturbing me at my work by any careless sound. And all was quiet. A perfect study for a savant. Cozy, quiet disposing one to meditation and creative energy. Dear ones, how solicitous they are of me, I thought tenderly. An inspiration, sacred inspiration, came to me. The sun burst forth in my head, and its burning creative rays darted over the whole world, dropping flowers and songs, flowers and songs, and I rode on through the whole night feeling no exhaustion but soaring freely on the wings of mighty sacred inspiration, I was writing something great, something immortal, flowers and songs, flowers and songs. End of section five.